0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. The MTG Novels Project is available both on YouTube and as a podcast version. Check the description for more details. A legal note, this is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizard of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizard of the Coast fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're continuing with chapter 10 of Planeswalker by Lynn Abbey Urza got his wish. The Phyrexians didn't return to the cave the next day, or the next after that. Seasons passed, and years. He dismantled the insect warriors, incorporating their parts into a redesigned dragon, linking their ring-shaped hearts into a single great power source. Ten years passed. Ten Dominarian years, according to Urza who claim as attachment to his birth world remained so strong that at any time he knew the sun's angle and the moon's face above. The case he called Koilos, the sacred heart. Come, Ursa said one winter morning, when Zancha would have preferred to remain in her nest of pillows and blankets. It is finished. He held out his hand, and with a rhyme and a yawn, Sancha clansed it. No more screaming through the between worlds. She'd master her fears and assist in her stomach. Although she dwelt mostly in the forest where the Frexian pool portal had been laid out, and where a cottage with a chicken coop and garden now stood, Urza had insisted that she come to him every, to every new world he discovered. His nose, her nose for Frexians was indisputably better than his. There are no Frexians on the world where Urza had built and rebuilt the dragon. There's no life at all and never had been. Urza's new dragon was much taller than the old one, but he bore from the incest warriors. The new dragon had a spider's eight-legged body. Any two of the eight legs could be the front legs, and any three could be destroyed without unbalancing it. The many-toothed head remained from the dragon's previous incarnation, but the short arms had been lengthened, and the torso rotated freely between whatever pair of legs led the rest. In addition to gouts of blazing naphtha, the dragon spat lightning bolts and spheres of exploding fire. Fulton, Urza said, his had together, unlimited power. Urza demonstrated each weapon, and though Xantia still thought a hundred lesser war machines would be more effective, she was awed by the destructions Urza's new dragon brought to the barren, defenseless world. The sky was streaked with soot and dust. Slag lakes of ember and crimson pocketed the plains. Everything that wasn't molten had been charred. It reminded her of nothing more or less than Phyrexia's fourth sphere, and she didn't think even a demon could stand against it. There's only one not-so-small problem. It's too big. It won't fit through any ambulator. It won't need an ambulator. It can walk the planes directly. Even you could guide it safely. I wouldn't know where to go. Sanja had conquered her fears, but no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't orientate herself in between worlds' emptiness. Worlds. Planes. Didn't call to her the way they called out to Urza. If she lost her grip on Urza's hand, she fell like a stone to whatever world would have her. Urza of armor kept her alive through one failure after another, until Urza conceded that she never, she'd never, she never walk the planes. You won't have to do anything at all. After I've used the Ambulator once, I know where Phyrexia is. And I'll walk the dragon there. You'll wait safe and snug until I return. Now watch. Between blinks, Urza shifted from beside Sancha to the dragon's seat. It came to life. No, not life. Sancha reminded her. Never life. The dragon was an artifact, the tool of Urza's revenge against the abominations of Phyrexia. Never mind that its eyes went from dark to blazing, or that the ground shaking accompanied each lightning bolt. "'The dragon was merely a tool that took aim at an already blackened hill "'and loosed it in slag. the last time it would have taken Sancha to eat her breakfast. "'Do you still have doubts?' Erla asked when he'd returned to her side. "'Mountains will defend themselves.' "'Urza took her words for a jest. "'His laughter rang between words as he whisked her back to the forest cottage. "'When the dragon finished, there was nothing little to do but wait for the Phyrexians to return. "'And for Urza, waiting was difficult. "'Though they'd long since pried every story,' She's willing to tell from her memory. He continued to quiz her, how high were the first sphere mountains? Where were the Fanes? The arenas? Which priests were the most dangerous? And where did they dwell? Were the iron warver and solitary creatures or pack hunters? In this four sphere were their furnaces clumped together or did each stand alone? And where were the fumerals wide enough to allow his dragon to ascend direct to the interior? Or would he have to dismantle Phrexia like a puzzle box? Orsa and the questions were the nights, about one in four or five, when Urza closed his eyes. Urza's terrible dreams were too large for his mind. His ghost walked the forest when he slept, creating a silent drama of anger and betrayal. Sancha had built a college to protect himself, herself from the dreams, but no wall was thick enough to insulate her from his anguish. Urza's call for vengeance was something a Phyrexian could understand. From the beginning, Xantia's life had been full of threats and reprisals, broken promises and humiliation. But Urza needed more than vengeance. When his nightmares reached their naval climax, he cried out for mercy and begged someone he called Mishra to forgive him. Urza wouldn't talk about his nightmares, which got worse once the journey was complete. He wouldn't answer Xantia's questions about the ghosts or their world, or especially about Mishra, except to say that the Frexen would pay for what they did to Mishra, and through Mishra, Zancha couldn't be sure which... Whenever she dared mention the Nightmare's name, Urza would fly into a bleak rage. Ten or twelve nights might pass without a word, without even a gesture, but then without warning, he'd rouse from his stupor and the questions would begin again. Sancho began to look forward to the times when restlessness got the battle of Urza and he'd head off between worlds, still hoping to stumble across Phyrexia or an excavation team with its precious ambulators. He'd begun a month, even a season, and her life would be her own. Long before the dragon was finished, Zancha had learned how to control the substance that emerged to persist and expanded it into a buoyant sphere instead of clinging armor. Urza had intended. Seated in the sphere, she traveled in a regular circuit of the hamlets, farms, surrounding the forest, learning the local dialects, trading with women who accepted her claims that she lived with the old man in the forest. She visited the local women, albeit carefully lest they know that she wasn't growing older the way they were. But with Urza gone for long periods of time, Sancho gradually expanded her horizons. She was, after all, following Urza's orders. He didn't want her to remain near the cave while he was gone. Urza reasoned that Phyrexians might take her by surprise, extract his secrets from her empty mind, then ambush him when he returned. He designed an artifact that was attuned to his eyes, though small enough to be worn as a sparkling pendant, The artifact could sense a signal between worlds. Come back frequently, he told Zancha when he hung the jewel around her neck. If they are turned, hide yourself far, far away from here. Then break the crystal. I will return for my, our vengeance. Above all, once you've seen a Phyrexian, stay away from the forest until I come for you. Don't let your curiosity lead you to foolishness. If they find you, they will reclaim you, and you will betray me. And you wouldn't want that to happen." Twelve winters, twelve summer, summers, and still, Urza spoke to her as if she couldn't think for herself, or hear through his lies. She swore she'd do as he asked. Whatever his reasons were, Zancha didn't want to come face-to-face with anything, even though she suspected Urza wouldn't come back for her after he dealt with the Frexians. Urza's demands weren't a burden. That chaos and subtleties of born folk societies fascinated her, giving herself to the world's wind. Sansha explored whatever struck her curiosity, as long as it didn't reek of Frexian's glistening oil. She learned to speak the born folk's languages, to read the writing, when it existed. The warrior cave had hundreds of different names, all of them archaic, all of them curses. In the world's largest town, where more folk knew their history, she discovered it was better to invent a completely false history for herself than to admit she had roots near the warrior's cave. After a few narrow escapes and near disasters, Sancha decided it was better to disguise herself as well. Born folk had definite notions about the proper place of young women and men in their societies, and no place at all for a newt who was neither. An incorrigible lad, a rogue in the making, was an easier disguise than a woman. At best, when she wore a young woman's clothes, good folk wanted to swallow her into their families. At worst, at worst, she'd been lucky to escape with her life. But Zantia did escape, and hardened by Frexia, there's nothing in a born folk's world that daunted her for long. The forest world had one moon, which went from full to new to, in thirty-six days. The born folk marked time by their moon phases, and Zantia did too, returned to the cave twice each month. Sometimes there was a message from Urza in the ruins of the neglected cottage. Sometimes he was there himself, waiting for her. He eager to whisk her between worlds to witness his latest accomplishments or discovery. Urza had no one else, although he said there was others who could walk the plains. He avoided them and born folk alike. Without Zancha, there were only ghosts to break his silence. If anything would lure Urza back to her after Phyrexia, Zantia expected it would be loneliness. She pitied Urza. It seemed he'd lost more to his nightmares than she believed he'd lost to Phyrexians. His artifact pendant was her most prized position, a constant reminder that never left her neck yet she was always a little relieved when she found the forest deserted except for one nagging worry she would not have mourned the loss if Urza had never appeared in her life the worry was her heart the lump Zanja had held in her hand with the Vat-Priest decanted her the lump that they'd taken home from her mourns later as they took it from every other nude. it slipped through her memory sometime after she'd become a dodger but it resurfaced when she'd encountered the trend. The Trien believed that their hearts could hold only so many misdeeds before they burst and consigned them to hell. To defend against internal torment, the Trent pur- purged their heart of error through bloodletting and guilt-dancing. Urza had no more blood within him than a comp- compliated frexian but she thought that guilt-dance might her- defeat his nightmares. So she danced with the Trent to test her theory, and in the midst of hysteria and ecstasy, she remembered her own heart. Sancha tried to convince herself that the tale the vat priests had told her were merely another of their countless lies. Her heart hadn't been very big, and no matter who had done that counting for her or the inevitable, she made a lot of mistakes that hadn't killed her. But Sancha had never been particularly persuasive, not with Urza nor herself. For the first time, Sancha's dreams were filled with her own ghosts, newts and priests, a plundered wooden crystal of music and beauty. Insect warriors would bail for eyes, and even gix, as the other demons shoved him through the fourth sphere fumarole. Worse than dreams, Zantia began to worry what would happen if Urza succeeded, and all Phraxians, including the heart vault beneath the fane of flesh, were destroyed. She conquered her nightmares and worries. Obsession wasn't part of her nature. Still, when the time came, after nearly two hundred summers of waiting, that Zantia found diggers, bears, and a handful of gremlin dodgers in the forest cave she didn't retreat before breaking Urza's crystal artifact Urza arrived with his dragon less than a day later and caught the fractions by surprise from her bolt hole in the hill above the warrior's cave, Sanja heard the gremlin streaming and counted the flashes as the diggers and bearers exploded a handful of diggers made a stand in front of the caves, Urza toyed with them, tossing them each again and again before crushing it it was a display worthy of Phyrexia in its cruelty and single-minded arrogance. Sancho couldn't watch. She looked away and saw to her horror a searcher-priest, not ten paces away. She thought it was hiding, though it was difficult to imagine any complete Phyrexian to get shelter among living trees and animals. Then insight struck. The searcher was fulfilling his destiny. Watching an artifact Phyrexia would surely covet. Sancho couldn't guess whether the priest had seen her before she saw it but a no moment later it began to run towards the ambulator, which it could, if it had time and thought quickly enough, unanchor and suck to Phyrexia behind it. Sansa was had no means to tell Urza that he was in danger of losing his way to Phyrexia and no reason to think that she could stop the searcher place or even that she could catch it before it reached the ambulator. But if it paused on anchor the nether end, she hoped she could delay it until Urza arrived. After a pneumonic yawn, she abandoned her bolt hole. The searcher priest had no intention of unlocking the ambulator, neither end, or even slowing down. It had a score of strides on Xancha before it, its brass foot touched the black circle. With its second step, it crossed at midpoint and sank between worlds. Too fast. Too fast. Memory waned from the back of Xancha's mind. The priest had told him to enter the ambulator slowly, lest they got caught between two worlds. Expecting an explosion, Xancha skidded off the trail and hid behind the largest tree she saw. There was no explosion, but when she poked her head around the tree, trunk, fire-rippled across the ambulator's disc surface. She had no idea if the priest had survived. For that matter, Zancha didn't know if the ambulator had survived. Urza went well in the sight of her, not when he told her to stay far off. But Zancha thought it was best to warn him. She stepped in front of the dragon when it burned a path through the trees. Urza shot flame to the left of her and the right. Xansha ran until she was breathless and circled back. The dragon sat beside the ambulator. The saddle seat between the shoulders was empty. Urza had gone to Phraxia alone. Sansa sat down to wait. Morning became afternoon. The sky darkened and that dragon's eyes shone red. Urza returned. Not through the ambulator, but in a blaze of lightning. And Sanche did nothing to attract his attention as he remounted the dragons. More was later they were gone. The storm ended quickly. The ambulator beckoned. It wasn't broken. For the last time, Sancha asked herself, was her heart important enough to risk everything to rescue it? The priest lied about so many things. Only a fool could believe that they lied about new tarts. Try as she might, Sancha couldn't remember exactly what hers had looked like. Modeled amber, maybe, with bright rainbow inclusions? She'd only seen it that once, and never seen another. Only a fool. And she was a fool. On hands of need, Zampa trapped to the ambulator, a i surprise surprised to discover that the searchers had left the prime end in the forest. She began unanchoring it, careful not to disturb the hard panel, where several jet-black jewels were in, set in a silver matrix. When the ambulator was loose and rippering, Sancho yawned. There was a single sharp pain in her gut as a cyst contracted. Drawing the armor out twice in a single day wasn't what Urza had in mind when he made the cyst, but she could do it five times at least before the process failed. The not-quite-liquid flowed beneath her clothes. She stepped into the unanchored ambulator. It swirled around her, not unlike the armor itself. By the time she'd reached the middle, the black dish had shrunk to half its size and risen to her waist. Sanja had repressed how much she disliked the ambulators. The sinking and suffocating was worse than following Urza between worlds, and the cyst made the passage worse. It swelled in her gut. She thought she might explode before her head emerged in Phyrexia. Because she'd unanchored the prime end in the force, neither end of Phyrexia was. It. Was all the other end in Phyrexia was also loose and shrank as Sancho emerged. Any Phyrexian would have been suspicious of a newt who rolled up an ambulator behind it. The Avengers that normally guarded the fourth sphere field, where scores of ambulators were anchored, would have annihilated a raid on sight if they had any left standing. Zansha assumed that Urza had annihilated them as he emerged. At least, something had. Waste not want not. The fourth sphere was even uglier than she remembered with acrid air and oily ash drizzling from the soup clouds overhead. The roar of a thousand furnaces was less a sound than a presence. The vice tightened over her ribs. The hollow where the ambulator had been anchored was bright, with billowish yellows, noxious greens, and an iridescent purple that is the very color of disease. Nothing was alive, of course. It was just filthy oil slicked over an eon of detritus, not fit for, even for the furnaces. There was another of living Phyrexia and Newt or otherwise in sight. Grateful but suspicious of her good forwarding, Sanja retrieved the glossy disc from behind her feet. The rolled-up ambulator, holding it by its flexible rim, she twisted her wrists in opposite directions. The disc rippled and shrank until it was scarier larger than her palms, with jewels protruding on both sides. After trucking the ambulator between her belt and her armor, Sanja took her bearers. There's no star sun for Phyrexia, especially not here in the fourth sphere. Away from the forest's light came harsh, constant, and without shadows. But the place was home, or it had been, and it came back to her. A few strides up the greasy slope, the horizon expanded, and Sancha saw why her return to Phyrexian had not been so easy. Straight ahead in the direction of the flame of, f- flame of flesh, soup clouds had turned red, and f- fire fell from the sky. Urza? Sancha asked herself, and decided it was possible that Urza was burning his way through Phyrexia. The ambulators could be anchored anywhere. Once on rolls, they were tunnels, direct passages from one specific place to another. No teeter was allowed, but a walker made his path here, there, and everywhere. Could Urza change his mind between worlds? But whenever he ended his walk, he stood on a world's surface. In Phyrexia, the surface was the first sphere. When she dwelt in Phyrexia before, she had known the meaning of silence. Zansha had been able to ignore the furnace war. She'd reached within herself to remember the trick and realized she'd been gone from Phyrexia several times longer than she'd been a part of it. But the memory is there. Zansha numbed herself to the ambient rumbling and and he heard the clanging of alarms. She smiles. Those alarms were struck when a furnace was about to blow. Every Phyrexian had an emergency place. For nudes, that place was a faint of flesh, precisely where she wanted to go. Of course, the emergency wasn't a furnace. And the closer she got to the sprawling hulks of furnaces, fanes, and gremlin shanties, the clearer it got in the absence of the expected disaster. Panic had replaced plan. Priests and other completed types that Zansha didn't remember and possibly never seen raced through Glem Town. Their voices were shrill to hurt. The challenge was staying out of their way. The shambles were already littered with gremlins who had failed. Arza's armor protected Zansha from the sky. Her sense of purpose did not rest. The faint of flesh wasn't the most impressive structure in the sphere, but it stood near the glistening oil fountain, which had become a spire of blue-white flame. A phalanx of demons made their appearance while Zancha threaded her way through the maze of furnaces. Narrow beams of amber and orange shot up from their torsos into the reddest clouds. Urza answered with lightning. In the force sphere's filthy skies, the air itself ignited and a web of fire shot to every part of the horizon. Fatih felt the heat through her armor. Her instinct was to run, but Ash fell quickly through the fire, and the fourth sphere went dark. For a moment, flesh had the advantage over metal, at least flesh protected by Eartha's armor. Neither Ash nor smoke irritated Zanja's eyes, and with a bit of effort, she could see a body like in front of her. As in the government town's alley, the danger came from the panicking and the fallen. No one paid any attention to a stray newt, assuming they could see her. Then the demons were grouped. A low humming sound began in the distance, followed by a cold wind that scoured the air. As it passed overhead, Zansha looked up and saw the bottom of the third sphere, a sight she'd never seen before. She saw the flames too, where Urza had burnt through the outer spheres. Another few moments and Zansha might have seen Urza's dragon, if she hadn't started to run for the fane. The rusty doors on the far side of the glistening fountain were wide open as Zanja entered the plaza where newts were complicated. She was in the final sprint for the faint when a vast shadow moved overhead. The last time Zanja had seen Urza's new dragon, he, she hadn't noticed any wing struts and had assumed the artifact had grown too heavy to fly. She had assumed incorrectly. Six of the dragon's eight legs supported wings that dwarfed the rest of its body and yet were highly flexible and maneuverable. The dragon swooped sideways to avoid a demon flung bolt, while it benched a tongue of flame. A furnace exploded. Metal shards and slug traced brilliant arcs through the third sphere ceiling. Impressed by beauty that was also terrifying and deadly, Zansha considered the possibility that Urza would win. During a tree sliced clod of sleigh crashed into the plaza, the flames of the gristening fountain sputtered and died, while yellow flames rose from the nuclear beside it. Unless Zansha wanted to die with Phyrexia, She had to find her heart and unroll the ambulator while there was still a solid place left to support the prime end. Sancha finished her run with no further distractions. Down! Go down! A Agility, vast assisted as she cleared the open doors. Noose, go down! It's hooked and power clattered against each other as it indicated a deserted corridor. The priests weren't flesh, but they weren't mindless artifacts either. They might lack sufficient imagination to obey a fatal command, but they had to be af- enough to be afraid I go, Zantra replied the first time she'd spoken Fraxian in cent- centuries she'd buggled the pronunciation, but the Fraxian priest didn't seem to notice she'd forgotten how big the fane was maybe she'd never noticed she'd never gone anywhere within it without a cadre of other newts and priests surrounded her one quarter was as good as another when she had no idea where her heart might be and the one that that piece had pointed to was the broader and best lit She read the glyph's inscriptions on the wall, hoping they might provide a clue, but they were only exhortations, lies, and empty promises, like everything else in Phyrexia. The fate of Fresh was cleaner than anything beyond its precedence. precedence. Its walls had so far resisted the outer flames, but it had taken damage. Turning a corner, Zantia came upon a pile of rubble from a collapsed ceiling and a defunct that priest crushed beneath it. She she wrenched one of the priest's long hooks from its shoulder socket and kept going. The teacher priest waited at it in other corners, its eyes were of flesh with a flat bronze mask. They darted between the hook, Sanchez's face and her boots and her belt. Newt, it asked. Sanchez had taken the hook as a weapon, but the priest assumed it was part of her, that it, her leather garments, were evidence that she'd begun her compliation. The hearts. Where are the hearts? I am sent to guard the hearts. I thought stupidly. Hearts? What matter, the hearts? We are attacked. They are the future. I am sent to guard them. Who sent you? It asked after a moment's hesitation. A demon, Sancho replied. Small lives weren't worth the effort of defending them. Where are the hearts? The teacher-brist continued to blink. Sancho feared it didn't know where the hearts were stored. Not a confession one priest would want to make to another especially another under a demon's command. It asked, which demon, as thunder waves, pummeled the fane, and rust range from the ceiling? Sanja had no time to wonder which strike was for, Urza or against him. Gix was dead, thus through the femoral centuries ago, and still any answer is better than now. The great Gix sent me. Her bluff worked. The priestess needed a name. It, qu- it quaked as it gave her t- detailed descriptions to a vault so far beneath the four-sphere floor may have actually been on the 5th. More blasts shook the Fane. A stairway she was supposed to use was clogged with debris and the scent of fire. I'll have to tell Urza that he's wrong. Sanchet complained, and she put her hand on the portal artifact tucked in her belt. I shouldn't be standing here, waiting to die. I did not have some damn fool useless imagination. She could have gotten out. The corridor was wide enough to unroll a portal. She'd be back in the forest, safe or not or not safe. Amblet is clearly be rolled up from the prime end if she left the ambulator's prime end here in the corridor, and the fame collapsed the rubble might follow her to the forest and all of Phyrexia might follow her waste not want not I never thought of that when she used the ambulator to escape it would be a three step process first to the forest to anchor the neither end back to Phyrexia and to loosen the prime and another passes back to the forest time ahead became even more critical Zangia looked around around for an intact staircase. She found one and found the vault, too. Measured by the world she'd left, Sancha guessed she'd spent a morning in Phyrexia, looking down at the mass of soft glowing hearts. She guessed it might turn a late time to find hers. The ineffable's plan for Phyrexia was precise, even rigid, but the plan didn't cover every contingency. That priest dutifully bought newt hearts to the vaults, and simply heaved the little stones into a pit, one for every nude ever decanted. At the surface, the pit was about twice the size of an unrolled ambulator. When she thrust the vet hooks into the chaos, it went in all the way to her shoulder gears without striking anything solid. The pit seethed. Countless glowing amber fists and a smaller number of dark ones were vibrating constantly against one another. On her knees, Sancha could hear a steady chorus of sighs and gasps. She wondered about the dark ones and got lucky. She heard a pop right in front of her then watched as the golden hunt brightened it in the dark. Death. Phyrexians were dying in Urza's assault. Were their hearts, long detached from their complicated bodies, going dark as they did? Sancho retrieved the newly darkened stone from the vaporized hook. Tiny scratches marked its surface. Marks left as the heart stone clattered against its companions. A record of errors made by the ineffable. She read the glyphs on the walls. They refi- repeated the familiar Teacher priest lies. Sancha picked up a glowing stone. Its worth and subtlety was tangible even through Urza's armor. She picked up a second golden heart and found it just as warm, just as subtle, yet also different. But every dark stone felt as inert as the first she had touched. The teacher priest might have not told the whole truth, but they told enough. There was a vital bond between Phyrexians and their detached hearts. She hadn't been a total fool. There was a good reason to rescue the stone she'd carried out of the vats. In precious little hope of finding it among all the others. Tears of frustration rolled down Xantia's armored cheeks. They fumed where they landed on the glowing stones cracked in her lap. Another shudder rocked the fane. When it ended, a score of hearts had popped and dimmed. More of death, to Urza's credit. But imagine what his dragon engine could do if Urza brides weapons to bear where Xantia's sat. Imagine what she could do. The hearts weren't so hard that she couldn't break them and if her tears couldn't make the stone fume what might her blood do if she chose to sacrifice herself for vengeance? she would be willing to die for much less before Ursa rescued her but she'd come to the faint of flesh because she'd wanted to live. Choices and questions, all of them morbid paralyzed Jonsa at the edge of the pit. Then she heard laughter. She scrambled to her feet scrambling hearts and crushed them in her frantic clumpiness. There There's no one behind her. The laughter had come from the corridor. It came from within. Within her mind and within her heart. Throwing the hook aside, Zansha waited in the pit, sweeping her hands in front of her, moving towards the laughter. She found what she was looking for not far below the surface, neither in the middle nor at the pit's edge. There was nothing to distinguish it from any other heart stone. A few scratches, but no more than any other stone she touched. Glowing or dark, it was hers. It had to be a hers. Urza's armor absorbed that it laid in her hand. Another burst of popping hearts interrupted Janzo's reverie. A hundred, perhaps several hundred. Fexians had died since she entered the vault. The chamber is as bright as it had been when she entered. Sancho tried to calculate how many glowing hearts lay on the surface, how many more might lay believe. She got off, gave up after a few attempts, but not before she decided that unless she told Urza about the heart vault, it would be a very long battle before he achieved vengeance. Her heart was too big to, s- to swallow, too risky to carry in her hand. Sanche tucked it carefully inside her boot before she headed off. Finding her way out of the Fane was harder than finding Urza. Fane's smoke and sorcery ratcheted through one quarter of what passed for the fourth sphere sky. While she had been looking for her heart, the demons had mounted a counterattack. Urza's hulking dragon was surrounded by Phyrexia's smaller defenders. Dragons, warverns, and whatever else had been summoned from the first sphere through the very hole Urza had burned for himself. As she warmed him, individually Phyrexia had nothing that could equal his king tool, but in Phyrexia's individuals weren't important. For every complicated priest, for every scrap-made digger or bearer, there were twenty warriors, fleshless, obedient, and relentless. The demons aimed the warriors at Urza's dragon, where they died by the scores and occasionally did damage. The dragon's wind were shredded and useless. Two of its legs had been disabled. A third burst into melting flames while Zantia looked for a path through the Phyrexian lines. Urza could still defend himself in all quarters, but if when he lost the fourth leg, there'd be gaps, and it wouldn't take imagination to exploit them. You're lost, Urza shouted silently, adding managed a fault of hearts. There's a better way. Walk away now. But though Urza could easily extract thoughts from her mind, she'd never been able to insert hers into his. There were hundreds of Phyrexians on the battlefield, and even a few gremlins. All of them were in to be trampled in spite of restless warriors than they were from anything in the dragon's arsenal. But their presence, a thing there of chaos, across the field was Zantia's best hope of getting to Urza. Ryan lying on Urza's armor to protect her from everything except her own stupidity, Zantia does fire, lightning, and the distortions of sorcery as she threaded her way through the Phyrexian circle. Once she came face to face with the back of a demon, it was dark and asymmetric, with its pincers on one arm and a six-fingered hand on the other. It had arms in several places, including the back of its head. Nothing like Gix, except for the malice intelligence in its red eyes. It studied from her from her boots, her hair, and, and Vapri's hook. Franchois sure it knew it wasn't what she pretended to be, and equally sure Irma's armor wouldn't protect it from her, its wrath. Just then, a worthing screamed, and a da- the demon turned away. A small wall of sharp, noxious yellow crystals exploded from the ground between Zansha and the demon. She staggered back and watched the demon uncoil like an angry serpent, writhing towards the dragon. Urza's armor protected Zansha from flames and emptiness and corrupts of vapors, too. She followed the walls of crystals that extended across Phyrex's force sphere towards Urza and its dragon. If Urza struck the wall, Zancha was meat. If he didn't, he would claim the fourth leg from his dragon. But not before she swung up the leg scaffolding, climbing for her life and his. Zancha made an easy target, running across the dragon's back, but nothing attacked. fractions overhead didn't recognize her as an enemy, and Urza's attention was centered on the noxious wall. Zancha fell hard when the leg collapsed. Worse, there was blood on her hands when she hauled herself back up. Either her armor was weakening or Urza's was. She swung down between the dragon's shoulders, expecting the worst. Urza reclined in a wild shrouded couch. Smoke rose from his charred trousers. The dragon's wounds were reflected on his body. Bruised contusions. Bleeding contusions covered Urza's hands and face. Sanche had never seen Urza hurt. She assumed he could be destroyed. He hadn't, she hadn't imagined that it, he could be wounded. She stood confused and useless for several moments before they found cur- Urza's courage to touch his shoulder. Urza, Urza, it's time to walk away from here if you can. No response. Urza, Urza, can you hear me? It's Sancha. She put some strength into the hand. The whole house couch rocked a bit. There was no response from him. He was still in control of the dragon, still fighting. As mindless as any of the Warthins, Urza had abandoned Satinius and became the tool. Listen to me, Urza. Vengeance is slipping away. You've got to leave now. Urza's eyes opened. They were horrible to behold. He stared to say the one word that had been horrible to say. Then his eyes would see. But he didn't finish. Yog, The ineffable. The name that must be not be spoken. Sanche knew it. They all knew it. It was with them in the vats. But Urza should have known it. He never got anything out of his Sanche's mind. That he had been able to give him. And she had never given him that. Every instance had run. Now alone. Sancha resisted. Uh, Urza had rescued her when she had no hope. She wouldn't leave him behind. Sancha reached across the couch and took Urza's wrist as he often took hers. She stilled her nerves and stared into his seizing eyes. Now, Urza, we've got to leave now. Walk us somewhere safe. To the cave where you took me. And leave. Leave that name behind. Yogg. Sancho. She screamed her own name in his face. His hands gripped hers, and her vision went black. That was chapter 10 of Planeswalker. Please like, subscribe, and follow on YouTube and on your chosen platform. Thanks for listening.